Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back to talk all things WWE and we're actually taping this edition of the podcast a little bit instant analysis style. The Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini are hopping on immediately after WWE Raw went off the air to break down everything that happened on that show and everything that went down Friday night on SmackDown. It is late here on the East Coast and we have a loaded show to get to, so we're getting everything out of the way super quick. First, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Second, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Every time you guys leave a review rating or tell your friends about the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, it helps us grow, and that is our goal for 2021. Don't forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Yeah, go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But Chris is here. We're getting ready to talk WWE. And like I said, we're not wasting time on today's show. So we're going to slide right into the main event. Chris, I guess by sliding into the main event, I did not get a chance to introduce you, nor did I get a chance to note that we had originally planned a couple different things on this podcast. We had originally planned to do some projected WrestleMania cards. We were going to do a review after each watching two episodes of Young Rock. We didn't really get a chance to do either of those things. We're not going to get a chance, I should say, to do either of those things on today's show. But let's go ahead and agree to push that off. We will do it next week. We're still a couple of weeks out from Fastlane. I think we have enough space next week to talk about all that stuff. Yeah. And and spoiler alert, Young Rock is pretty good. We'll talk more about it next week, but uh, I'm a fan. I think that's a conversation that we can certainly have. I don't I don't know if I agree. It's I'll tell you this. It's not it's not bad. Right, it's not we'll get, bad. We'll get into it. We'll get into it next but week. Yeah. Stay tuned. We, we will get into that next week. This week, we are starting with the main event. And the biggest story this week in WWE was the scheduled main event for Raw. The Miz defending his WWE championship against Bobby Lashley. Now, this did not happen the way we expected. The show opened in classic Raw style. A ton of people arguing. Drew McIntyre came out and said he didn't understand Sheamus' problem with him. He was shocked The Miz was actually champion and promised he would win the title back soon because he put in too much work to lose it this way. The Miz got uh, some really sick pyro and said winning Money in the Bank meant it was only a matter of time until he was WWE champion. He tried but failed to manipulate McIntyre into helping him beat Lashley on the show. MVP came out and announced the title match would be at 9 p.m., Eastern as WWE seems to be focusing on keeping their ratings into the second and third hour of their shows. McIntyre called back to the VIP lounge segment with MVP back in May. Sheamus was out last to set up their match. I thought it was a strong opening segment, Chris. Everyone was really good on the mic and it sold the show. It gave you reason to stay tuned until 9 p.m. and to want to watch what was going to happen next. Yeah, and this is something I think we've seen WWE do a couple times now, which is like, 
have the announce they're going to have the main event at like nine or 10 o'clock or, or give somebody a, a deadline, you know, like they did, I think right. it was last week, right? They gave Miz a deadline to give an answer. So, so they, they're, they're teasing you, Hey, something's coming up down the road. You're going to want to stay tuned to watch. I think it's, it's a great setup. I was, it was a little strange to me at the beginning when they opened with McIntyre coming out in the ring. My first thought was, Hey, we've got a WWE championship match. We should be, I, I want to see Miz pulling up to the arena. I, I want to, they did the video, but I want to see Bobby Lashley getting ready or something like that. So it was right. weird to see McIntyre, but then Miz comes out. He addresses the situation with McIntyre, addresses the elimination chamber finish. Cause we hadn't seen Drew last week and, and MVP comes out and does the thing. So it all worked. It, 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 it all worked in the end. Really strong setup made you want to keep watching. It was a really weird occasion, especially recently for WWE Raw, where you watch the segment, you're like, not only was that good, I want to see what happens next. A lot yeah. of times they'll turn you off right at the beginning of the show. They kept me kind of interested the entire time. And we'll talk about, you know, some of the decision making that they that they went through with the book, main event booking a little bit later. But in terms of the opening segment, I thought it was strong. And then we get to the second segment, which is Drew McIntyre against Sheamus. And... Holy shit. I mean, this is a match. This was the match of the show. It is Monday, of course, but it was the match of the week so far. So we're starting off with an absolute bang. And let's see now if uh, NXT and SmackDown and AEW can live up to it as the week progresses. Uh, McIntyre was brogue kicked off the ring apron and Raw went to commercial break. This was like 10 minutes, five minutes into the match. I don't care that he fell outside the ring. Sheamus hit his damn finisher. You should not go to commercial break after someone hits their finisher, period. You want to see if he rolls him in the ring and kicks out at a minimum, right? Um, so that made no sense. But McIntyre suplexed Sheamus twice onto the announce table, kipped up after an Irish curse, hit a flying Glasgow kiss with Sheamus on the ropes, and then hit an avalanche belly to belly. McIntyre kicked out of white noise, hit the future shock DDT. He then hit Sheamus with avalanche white noise, his own move. There were like six different near falls all in this entire sequence. Uh, And then eventually Sheamus hit McIntyre's Alabama slam, but McIntyre incredibly countered the bro kick with a Claymore for the win. It was an absolute banger. And it was the definition of (laughs) but like in an athletic modern way, this was not Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman from last week. This is what big meaty men look like in 2021. That's what it was. This was a killer opener. Like I said, match of the night, early match of the week. I I would honestly, I know AEW and NXT have great wrestling. I know SmackDown any week can put on a really good match. I'm going to be surprised if I enjoy them, if I'm as entertained by a match this week as I was this one. That match was brutal. I mean, there were a couple of times where Sheamus comes down on the knee and just clocks McIntyre in the head elbowing him in the head a couple times just man it was like one of those like oh you, you they're working stiff and they those two guys you know the, the whole bit you know when they're back when they were friends was they love to get in fights and hit each other and and now you see it in a match and oh man that was physical you're not i i that was the most physical match we've seen in quite a while probably going to be the most physical match we see in a while again match of the week absolutely uh just great stuff to to end up being opening up the show it, it was really a pay-per-view quality match. Yeah, like at definitely. least, at least four stars, four, 4.25 stars. Loved it. It felt like a blow off to their yeah. feud, at least for now. Clearly, I think, Chris, the original plan was McIntyre Sheamus at Elimination Chamber. Yeah. But when they changed course, they decided to put the title on Bobby Lashley going into WrestleMania. 
they basically had to pull the plug on that match. I do think if McIntyre wins at WrestleMania, that Sheamus is going to be the first major challenger afterward. It's really easy to rebuild Sheamus. It does not oh, take yeah. much to do it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. Former world champ, you know, they didn't, they did, they haven't gone very far into the friendship angle still in terms of the breakup. If if, if that if we get to that point, it, he'd be an easy first challenger, no doubt. Yeah, I agree. So the main event, the big storyline on Raw was the Miz defending the WWE Championship against Bobby Lashley, who basically deserved the opportunity because he helped him win the title at Elimination Chamber. So the way this started was Lashley after the opening segment. Lashley hit the ring at 9 p.m. sharp, Mrs. Music hit, and all of a sudden he was backstage selling stomach cramps, <laughs> saying, it's coming out of both ends. Actually, it's the opposite. Uh, not, good uh, not good shit. That was bad shit. Uh, <laughs> Adam Pierce told him that he had an obligation to fight and defend the title. Lashley ran backstage, grabbed Miz by the throat, and threw him down. Pierce said Miz would then defend the title at 10 p.m. John Morrison was really funny here, like, asking for a towel instead of medical assistance. <laughs> Meanwhile, there was a towel right behind him. It was just, it was it was pretty funny, um, I think, at parts. But I know some people were annoyed and, and, and aggravated by the continued pushing. We'll talk about that in a moment. Miz again tried and failed to weasel out of it uh, when they were both in the ring at 10 p.m. Miz grabbed his title, ran away for a count out when the bell rang. I thought it was hilarious how fast he moved. <laughs> yes. Like he really sold, yes. I'm a chicken shit pathetic heel I'm running for my life. Backstage, Miz and Lashley were incensed. Shane McMahon later said, after saying he would consider stripping Miz, he finally decided he'll strip Miz of the title if he does not show up for the main event match. Now, I did get a DM slide. Someone was able to slide in before we taped the show after Raw went off the air. And it was Brian Owens at Owens11B. He said, two weeks in a row now with a countdown clock. I actually kind of like it because it makes it feel more important. Or does it lose its luster since they keep pushing it further down the line? I'll let you answer that first. So in this kind of, we'll get into it later about fans being kind of upset about this. In the moment. Well, let's talk it, about it now. No, this is a good it, spot. Go it does feel that way. Well, one more thing. Miz also tried. I think it was the I think it was the nine o'clock match. Was it the nine o'clock match where or the ten o'clock match where Miz offered to fight Lashley at WrestleMania instead? Say, hey, how about we do this at WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah it was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. MVP goes, no, we're doing this now. <laughs> it, was the, it. it was the second one, yeah. I loved yeah. it, I, I loved it. But yeah, I mean, I had this thought throughout the show of, okay, they're pushing this and pushing this off. And I could see on Twitter that some people were getting upset. And that I, I, I understand that in the moment, but if they pay it off in the end, then I think it's fine. Because then they, you, they give you a reason to trust that it's going to go somewhere the next time they do it. This is two weeks in a row they've done the countdown. But we've gotten there. You know, they have paid it off and set it up. So uh, I think it's fine. I think it works because it, it, it gives you something to look forward to. And again, they're, 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 they're rewarding you for, for staying and watching. So I agree. I, I didn't mind it. Look, we know as and guys, when I say smart fans on this show, I don't mean it like we're smarter than other people. I just mean like as people who or don't look at wrestling just from what they give us, right? That actually are analytical about it and we talk about it. Obviously, we have this podcast. We know WWE wants to keep its rating from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. They hemorrhage ratings every single week from one hour to the next. Raw is under 2 million. It's been under 2 million for a long time. So they're trying some ratings plays to get people to keep watching. And that's not the end of the world. Like, they're trying to do well for their business partner. Now, 
Is it a little bit annoying as a viewer? Maybe, but I'm watching the three hours anyway. Now, if you're one of those viewers who is only tuning in to see the WWE Championship match, then I can understand you being angry that they keep kept pushing it. But guess what they did? They got you to keep tuning in each hour and then they won, right? Yeah. Ultimately, they did what they planned to do. So you may be annoyed about it, but WWE ultimately won. The only thing I hated about this was they kept showing the countdown clock during other matches. So you have Nia Jax and Naomi, and then later it was Ali and Riddle. And in both matches, it was like, okay, there's four minutes left until this Miz match against Lashley. And you're like, okay, but Riddle and Ali are good. What if they go 10 more minutes? Like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It, they're basically telling you this is going to be a short match. So I that, thought that was very bad. They should have put the clock on as soon as the match ended, not during yeah. the match. Yeah, I'm, that the was other, ridiculous. yeah, the, the other idea would be say you, you know, you pull an AEW and you say there's a 10 minute time limit to this match. And so it just, it lines up however you want to do it. But it's probably more. Or you easy. say, or you say because Miz has pushed it off, WWE's, you know, USA Network's going to allow us to go into overrun. Or something like that, right? But but again, you still have the countdown timer, right? I think so. The way you, I think the way you say it is the best. Just bring it up at the end of the match. I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure what they want to do is, hey, if you're getting a little bit bored by this match, don't worry, it's going to be over soon. So we got something else coming. I but like again, but you, and and you're right. That's probably the idea. But that that should not be a concern because their matches shouldn't be boring. Now, Riddle oh. Ali was not boring. Nia Jax, Naomi. That we'll, we'll talk about that pretty soon. Uh, so anyway, let's finish this up. So Miz shows back up 1045 backstage, complains to Shane saying he deserves to be champion and would carry the title better than Lashley. He said WWE should have protected him, but Shane just denied him. I did wish that Miz kind of tried to play back into it when he teamed up with Shane and like, hey, remember we're teammates and like oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But he didn't do that, but that's fine. Uh, so the bell was about to ring late in the show when Shane all of a sudden comes out calls for a lumberjack match, which, okay, fine, except they just did that in December in the Big E versus Sami Zayn match. So right. it really felt like repetitive booking to me. Okay, whatever. I'm trying to get past this because these are some of these are nitpicks, but this could have, the larger point for me is that this could have been done a lot better. Not that I it was, was bad, yeah. but it could have been done better. I was okay with Lumber... Like, it, it is weird coming up with a biggie thing, but I was okay with Lumberjack match here because it fit exactly what happened earlier in the show. They didn't want Miz to run away. I know they threatened Miz to strip him of the title or whatever, but it just... It made... Honestly, you probably didn't even need to do that. You could have just called a Lumberjack match in the beginning to guarantee he couldn't run away. So, in the storyline, I understood why they did it. And, 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 go, and Miz talking about, you know, I do the international calls, I'll get up at 6 a.m. and work for this company and do all this stuff. It It's, it's true, and... I don't know if anybody listened to Miz on um, Renee Paquette's show last week, uh, her podcast. Uh, Miz had a really good interview there. Talked about you know how much he, actual work he put in to become a wrestler and all this stuff. And it was really kind of like, kind of, you know, you believe in him and stuff like that. So to hear him talk about that stuff to Shane, he's not wrong. He's not lying. But sure. that that's all. That's that's exactly what makes him a heel is that he thinks he deserves it because he does this. I, I thought it was really good stuff from Miz. So Miz, the bell finally rings. It's 10.55, five minutes left TV. Miz plays chicken a bunch. Lashley hits a flatliner, the almighty spinebuster, and the hurt lock to win the WWE Championship after like 16 or 17 years. Obviously, he wasn't with the company for a period of time, but you know that long in the industry. Lashley then tortured Miz after the match with another hurt lock. So 
this is what I'm going to say. First of all, really happy for Bobby Lashley. Like the number one thing that needs to be said, he deserves it. And I yes. know that the chance of you deserve it and all that stuff, not everyone deserves everything, right? Some people can be champions. Some people aren't. Bobby Lashley has the look, the skill. Does he have the mic work? Maybe not, but he has MVP. And recently when he's been on the mic, he's been really strong. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who, I don't know, he's not Big E where he's like happy-go-lucky, always a face and and that. But I've still been rooting for this guy to succeed forever. And to go from, I, I tweeted this, May 2018, the Lashley sisters with Sami Zayn floundering one yes. year ago today, or not one year ago today, but about a year ago, you're looking at Lashley and you're like, man, he's, this is not working. The second run in WWE, what is going to become of this guy to now 12 months later and three years later from Lashley sisters, you look at what MVP's done with him, the revitalization of not just one, but three black superstars, MVP, sorry, uh, not MVP, Lashley, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. And they've taken Lashley from a guy who couldn't even really get a mid-card title match to a guy who held that U.S. title strong, despite not defending it, we had our issues with that, but was built so strong that you and I for the last, I don't know, four months, six months, have said Lashley is so strong and looks so good, he can be a WWE champion at any time. And here we are, like six weeks from WrestleMania, and the guy is WWE champion, for the first time in his career, he was an ECW champion previously. That was a bastardized version of ECW. And I'll, I'll leave with this. I'll let you talk. I, you know, I tweeted this as well. The days between The Rock's first title reign and Kofi's first title reign, nearly 7,500 days, over 20 years. The days between Kofi's title reign, the start of that, and Bobby Lashley's, 694, under two years. That's progress. It's great to see. Really happy for Bobby Lashley. And I love the representation and progress that WWE makes. It's, it's admirable. And I think they deserve credit in situations like that. They deserve credit here. Let's hope that starting now, we don't need to count how many black champions there are for the WWE championship. This, this should become normal. And I hope this is because now it seems to be. Yes, and you're talking the main number one WWE title. I don't. Yeah, the WWE Championship. Mark, I mean, Mark, championship. Yeah, yeah, Mark Henry won the World Heavyweight Title, but we I know that was kind of a you know it was a different time and whatnot. Sure. So the, yeah, the, the, different the, time. The, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, yeah. Lashley absolutely deserves this. I mean, it was a, a couple months after WrestleMania he had that he got that title shot with Drew, and he killed it. And, and we all wanted that feud to keep going because we thought they put on such a great match. And it was it was unfortunate that he kind of uh, dropped down a level for a little bit, but no, yeah, he he's been great for a long time. MVP's been great, you know. He deserves you know a lot of credit for for getting Bobby in this position too. And yeah, I I've just I, everything about the Hurt business has been been awesome, and this is a real I think crowning moment for all of them, and especially for Bobby Lashley, who who also I mean he was ECW champ. He also had. Um, some Im- I think he had some impact title reigns as well. They actually tweeted it out right when he won, so props to them for that. Um, he actually, I think he had a feud with Drew McIntyre of all people in, in Impact when he was a champ. So, uh, uh, yeah, good stuff there. The only thing I'll say here is, and maybe it's a little bit of a nitpick. I'm just kind of looking at the whole picture. I understood the booking of Miz being a chicken shit, and he has been really most of his career. I just wish that they didn't make the guy who was the WWE champion look like that much of a joke. Like 
I think the running away was pretty cool and funny. The shitting his pants, like stomach cramps part. If it was me booking, I wouldn't have done that. I would have made it like, okay, this match will be at the start of the 10 o'clock hour. You have Miz run. Like you do everything that you did with the exception of the first part. And once the bell rings, you have him try to fight. He's a wrestler, right? He's been in numerous matches. He's defended the WWE title before and fought other big guys before. He teamed with the big show at one point. Like, it just felt like it was a little bit too much of a joke. And because of that, when Lashley beat him, it didn't really feel like he was beating anyone. It felt like he was beating a jobber rather than a guy who is the first two-time triple crown winner in WWE history. It did. And I think if this hadn't happened like one week or uh, one week after Miz winning, there would have been more of an opportunity to build him up a little bit better, have him deliver more promos about how great he is, win a couple matches before you get in the spot. But because of the way things are on the calendar, they had to make it a quick switch. Um, yeah, you could have done it a little bit differently. When Miz is talking about how much work he does for the company, you know, talk about you know how accomplished she is or whatever. It was, it, it, you're right. It's a nitpick. It's not a huge thing. It, it would have been nice to have it a little bit more um, as a title match, but you know, it is what it is. I also believe that the Miz had the shortest WWE title reign since Seth Rollins in 2016. And also now Lashley, I don't think he's ever had a tag team title in WWE. So if he does win a tag team title, he will then become his own triple crown champion. So Really cool stuff for him. Really cool stuff um, that he's the champion, presumably taking the title into WrestleMania. I'm actually fine if either there is no WWE title match at Fastlane or if Miz gets a rematch at Fastlane. Like, let him beat Miz again. It doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or have him beat Miz and Morrison. They've that, done that's, that like four times already. I, I, that's what that's I think fine. they should do. I, I, I Whether it's Miz or somebody else, I think they need to have Lashley have an impressive victory at Fastlane so we fully believe, you know, in him going into Mania. Because the, the problem with the U.S. belt was that he just, they didn't give him title matches. So yeah. I, I think they got to give him a title match, give him a title defense, you know, make again, make him look strong going into Mania. This would also be a scenario where, and look, you guys know I love Keith Lee. I don't want him to get beat, whatever. But due to whatever's going on with him, and we don't know what it is, injury or personal, whatever the case, if he's able to make his way back, he is not going to factor into WrestleMania, it seems, at this point. And it's understandable because he hasn't been around. If they don't have Mania plans for him and he is able to come back, this would be a scenario where I wouldn't mind Lashley beating Keith Lee to further establish himself as a strong champion. Maybe not even in a title match, but I wouldn't mind that happening because then you can kind of say, okay, Keith, take a- another month off, come back in late April or early May, and then just restart Keith Lee. Like, you know, you, you can kind of almost use them and then bring them back. So that's maybe what I would do if he is available or if you have guys like that that you can use. This would be a great spot where if Paul White was still with WWE, you bring the big show in just to kind of say, hey, you know, you think you're the biggest badass? I, I still am, you know, and then you have a match and you have him beat big show. So they do need to now do things over these ensuing five, six weeks to build Lashley up to your point. And I just hope that they know that and they realize that. Yeah, and so, that's, yeah, and I no. don't want it to be. I don't want them to squash Miz again. I mean, it could be a rematch, but have it be, you know, more a real match. Years. Yeah, have a real match. Yeah, yeah, have it be like seven, eight minutes as opposed to three where he's running around. Like, have him yeah. at least try or do a, a handicap as as we were saying. But okay, so that's it. Congratulations to Bobby Lashley, big title win for him. Let's move over to the main storyline 
on SmackDown. And I got to say, I've been real positive, right, about SmackDown. We both have for a long time on this show. And I don't think this was bad by any means. But I do think that they took a sidestep here. And I'm kind of curious to see what you think about it. So Roman Reigns opened SmackDown as usual and said Edge ruined his perfect night at Elimination Chamber. Don't forget, this is the first SmackDown after Elimination Chamber now that we're reviewing. Uh, Reigns told Edge to back out of the match, which I thought made zero sense considering he was begging Edge to challenge him. Now he's suggesting he back out. Didn't really make sense. Daniel Bryan interrupts and calls Reigns a coward for defending in the second match instead of the main event. I thought that made complete sense and was very fitting with Reigns always saying he's the main event. So then he challenges Reigns for Fastlane. Jey Uso blindsides Bryan and then becomes the gatekeeper to the number one contendership in the main event. Edge later in the show said he thought it was going to be him and Daniel Bryan against Reigns and Uso at Fastlane. Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville basically said, hey, look, this would be a bigger match. So, you know, screw that. Uh, even later, Bryan said that he had a better chance of beating Reigns than Edge did. Edge showed up, asked who would win between both of them. And it got a little bit tense. There was a little bit of a square off between them. So we moved to the main event, Daniel Bryan against Jey Uso. I thought it was a damn good match. It was short. It should have gone longer. But Bryan sold his knee. Jay countered the running knee by taking it out. Brian hit a cool butterfly suplex, but Jay later threw him into the steps. The match ended in a double count out, but they kept brawling and Brian tapped Jay out with the yes lock until Reigns broke it. Brian then locked Reigns in the lock and Jay broke it. Reigns hit Brian with a spear and a guillotine and Edge just simply never showed up. I saw some people say that this didn't make sense, but I didn't personally think there were any logic gaps more than anything, I just thought it was uneventful. The reigns Brian showdown that we saw in the ring, it teased me for what I wanted at Mania. They didn't make a match for Fastlane. I'm not really sure why they stretched it out. We'll talk about in a minute what they're doing. Fastlane's only a couple of weeks away, so I feel like they should have just done whatever they're going to do next week and book it this week. So for me, it was just a lot of blah. Like it was, okay, this is exciting, cool. Um, maybe they're going to run back. Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan from like Fastlane 2016, I think was that match. Oh, cool. Bryan's also interacting with Edge. But ultimately the show ended and really there was absolutely no resolution. So it wasn't a zero. It wasn't bad. You know, we still got a Daniel Bryan, Jey Uso match and Daniel Bryan interacting with Reigns. But I just didn't feel it was as strong as SmackDown's been recently. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up well. It was not as eventful, but I it still gave me the sense. And I guess I, again... Still trust SmackDown to, you know, to quote Dave Batista, give us what we want. And, you know, we'll talk about what they're doing next. So it, it was a little bit off, but I got to say, I still like Edge just wandering around backstage, talking to everybody, being like, hey, you and me, who would win a match? Basically, you know, he did that before Elimination Chamber too, And just, just another way to just, you know, you know, give a guys a little bit of a rub and, and, and make, make, I know it's Daniel Bryan, he doesn't necessarily need it, but it made you think about it, you know, when, when he does stuff like that. So, um, not again, not a ton happened. They have plans for stuff to happen. So, it, well, it did you watch? Did you watch Talking Smack? Well, that's the other thing I was going to bring up. I didn't see all of Talking Smack, but I saw Daniel Bryan's promo, and it was really, really good. His his bit with Paul Heyman. Um, so, yeah, so all, yes, go ahead. Well, let me break it down, then I'll let yeah. you talk first. Yeah, uh, Bryan was incredible. Uh, he poked Heyman at the beginning for his old rat tail that he used to have coming out of the back of his hat, which I, I literally like, like started laughing out loud when he said that. It was so funny. 
Uh, he absolutely went off. He said he respects Edge, but he sees two guys in Edge and Reigns who have barely wrestled over the year, uh, basically main eventing WrestleMania when he's been busting his ass and won the Elimination Chamber. Heyman offered Brian a shot at Fastlane if he beats Jay. However, if Brian loses, he has to acknowledge Reigns as his tribal chief, the head of the table, the best wrestler in the world, and the main event at WrestleMania. Brian took it, but basically said he wanted it in a steel cage because he's no longer going to sit on the back burner, putting others ahead of him, which we've talked about on the show. He's taking back the title of best wrestler in the world. He even called out CM Punk in that as well. So I loved it. Tell me what you thought about this entire thing. Yep, it, it was everything we wanted out of Dana Bryan. It was, all right, I'm no longer the guy who's going to put everybody over. I want the title. I want what's mine. You know, I'm I'm getting serious now. And it, it, was, it was talking smack. Every time Paul Heyman's on there, talking smack is, it's it's always a must-watch. There's always a must-watch promo on that thing every time. So just, Usually a couple. Yeah. yeah, just really well done. Paul Heyman brings out the best in everybody, and, and Dan O'Brien was was no different. It makes sense. The stipulation makes sense. Again, it's another thing where, you know, you probably could have done this on SmackDown, but right. uh, but for what it was, you know, putting it on Talking Smack, it was good. Yeah, it just felt like all of this could have been accomplished on Friday. Right. They could have just done this as one. This was the storyline. Like, yeah, if you lose, you have to acknowledge him, blah, blah, blah. And you do a still cage match in the main event. So and, and, and that's I don't a, know. That's a good stipulation. The you have to call him, you know, the tribal chief. That was the whole thing oh, yeah. with Jay and Roman the first time around. Like it, it's not just some whatever stipulation. No, we see how much that means to Roman that you have to call him that. So but they also know. made it they made it. They took it beyond that. They took it him calling him the best wrestler in the world, which yeah. means something to Brian. Yes. So it was it was all encompassing of this entire deal with both of these guys. And again, like, I hate to keep harping on it. Man, this, this is perfect for WrestleMania, right? And, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. man, it was right there for them. And they decided not to do it. Again, just because they don't book the way we want them to doesn't mean it's bad. But mm-hmm. sometimes you just kind of are like, yeah, that thing was sitting right there. You, you could see it, right? You could see the road. Yeah, it, it's extreme. All you have to do is pull the trigger. Yeah, it's, it's extreme fast lane 2016 or whatever vibes all over again. It's almost the same situation. It's really. Yeah, it's very similar. So. More than anything, though, after all of this, they are making me consider, and it doesn't mean it's going to happen, and I I still don't think it's going to happen, but they are making me consider, Chris, the possibility of a triple threat match at WrestleMania. Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. Bryan would make a lot of sense here as the guy to take the fall if they want to give Edge the title without beating Reigns, and then you can have Reigns win it back at Money in the Bank or two pay-per-views later. So I don't think it's impossible that Brian gets into the main event. Unfortunately, it just would not be in the way that we hoped it would, which would be one-on-one after he won the Royal Rumble. And they wouldn't be telling the same story that we wanted them to tell. But it would be an interesting development if they went in that direction. Because look, that interaction with Edge backstage was not lost on me. No, I I think it's a great idea. I'd love it. We'd love it. It's what everybody would want. It's it's just simply, do we think Vince would do it? And right. I don't I don't know. I I, I really don't know. I I think I'm not sure either. Yeah, it, it's it, it, imagine it, the, imagine those yeah. entrances though. Like WrestleMania main event night two, your first entrance is is yes, your second entrance is Edge, and then your third entrance is the foreboding Roman Reigns. 
and that's your main event. That's pretty badass. Yep. That, that, that would be pretty sick. It would. I mean, really it, cool. it, it's not unprecedented. We had the Becky, uh, Ronda, Charlotte triple threat a couple years ago. So they have gone with triple threat. We had event. Triple H. Didn't we have Triple H, Batista, Daniel Bryan? Was it Triple H or Orton? Oh, I no, it was, it, was, it, was or, it was Orton, Batista, Dan and Bryan. That's right. The year Orton, Daniel Batista, Bryan Daniel Bryan. So it's, it's not unprecedented. I, I mean, um, both of those years, there was a, a big swell of support around Becky and Dan and Bryan to, to, to set right. it up, um, which maybe changed plans. But, you know, I just, hey, Vince, if you're listening, we all want Dan and Bryan in the, in the in a triple threat for the I, I think so it would just make it more exciting. I just think it would make it a better match. And Edge, you know, look, he can go, right? But he is like 47. And I don't think it's the worst thing for him to be able to be in that match and take a break and then have a really strong finish, especially if, especially if they're going to change the title, you know, or if for some reason, I don't think they do, but they'd want to drag out a Reigns Edge feud. They could do that. But I don't know. I think it's well, the point is, I think it's a possibility. I think it's that, a 25 percent yeah. possibility. I mean, that was my thought. I mean, I, I think it's very, very possible that Reigns wins at WrestleMania. And if that's the case, have Dan O'Brien take the pin and then you go into a Roman Edge feud after that. Or you go into a Brian Edge feud because he's mad at him and Reigns moves on. Billion different things you could do. But okay, so that was all really interesting. The third part of this main event, you know, I try not to be overly negative on the show, but, you know, we just try to be honest as well. And I really want to concentrate on the women's division because the last few weeks on this program, we've kind of alluded to the women's booking being bad. But this week, I just kind of felt it reached a crescendo. Basically, both shows, SmackDown and Raw, we got two women's segments, and neither of them were particularly good, meaning two on each show. So let's kind of break them down, and I don't, I don't know even what the result of the conversation is going to be because look, we're not going to, we're not in charge of the booking. Like I can't, I can't fix it for them, but I just want to point out why it's bad, and I hope that everyone listening certainly agrees. So. And so let's start with SmackDown, because that's really where things are actually happening. Uh, Bianca Belair made her WrestleMania decision. Pierce and DeVille brought Belair to the ring. Belair said, choices define who you are, and her choice was clear. And then Reginald interrupts, saying, if Belair chooses Banks, it will be a nightmare. Sasha took his mic and pushed him aside, saying she should be chosen if Belair wants to make history. Belair finally came back with a pretty good promo, I'll say. Her response was pretty solid. And then she pointed to the sign and challenged Banks. So like I said, Belair's promo was improved, but it was really just a horrible segment, as has been the case with women recently across both shows. I do not understand why they are shoehorning Reginald into this storyline. He brings absolutely nothing to the table. And by the way, I love Reginald. Like this guy has been exceedingly entertaining when he's been on TV, not the last three weeks, but every week prior, he's been very good. But for some reason, they're forcing him into this. Even if he's trying to do a double agent type of thing for Carmella, it's bad. There's no reason Reginald should be involved in a WrestleMania storyline between two women of this caliber that do not need help. That's what Reginald should be doing. Nothing. We're watching a strong match between two strong women get completely watered down in storyline. It has no life whatsoever. They had them tag. They've had them buddy-buddy for weeks. Nothing of quality is happening. And they somehow have made an obvious but exciting booking 
Banks and Belair, arguably the best women's wrestler in North America or the world, some think, and Sasha Banks against maybe the brightest up and coming star in women's wrestling in Bianca Belair. And somehow it's boring me to tears, Chris. This is not good. It's not a zero yet, but it is on the verge of being a zero. They're just, they're trying to dance around. They were trying to dance around Sasha Bianca for a while instead of just letting them do what they do, which is both be absolute confident badasses. Like it was like, Oh, we got a couple weeks. Let's have them be friends and they're frenemies. And it's like, they do this all the time, especially with women's feuds. And it's like, no, they're just ass kickers. Let them just kick ass. Like, <laughs> like why? I don't know. I think I feel like they had Bianca pick Sasha this week because they realized people were kind of getting annoyed with how this was going, and they're like, just get to it. But now we're throwing Reginald into it, and because we have Fastlane, I'm sure there'll be something involved in that. And it's just like, just from the very beginning, Bianca should have immediately picked Sasha, and then they just try to just one-up each other by being awesome, getting under each other's skin, and just build and build and build some heat. It's not like they're, they're it's like they're, it feels like the, the Sasha-Carmella feud where they're both really talented, but the story they give them is terrible, and you don't know exactly what they're fighting over or what they're fighting for, you know, other than a belt. It was just... Well, it, they're it, fighting to be the best. They're fighting to be the best, and it's the same, it's the same promo from Sasha yes. every single time, and it's going to be the same promo from Bianca Belair every single time. What about talking about how, as a black woman, Sasha's been an idol for her getting into this business as an athlete, not having any direction? What about, you know, I mean, there's so many different storylines that you can do. Sasha, yeah, you're a great technical wrestler. You know, I'm bad. I'm stronger than you. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lift your ass and toss you out of the ring. Like there's so many different ways. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's so many ways that this could go to build heat to this match, but they didn't even build heat to her decision. They, they had her interact. I think with Oscar one time she was on raw Bianca, she should have been on raw every week, even though you knew she was going to choose Sasha. What if you left her off SmackDown one week and let her get involved with Oscar and maybe staring at her or watching her backstage or they interact. Sasha jokes at her and pokes her with a fan or something like there's a million things they could have done to make this interesting and exciting. And they did none of them. Instead, they inject Reginald into it. I I don't even know what it's called, Chris. I know you're a movie guy like me, but there's something uh, and, and like screw me for like not knowing it. And I'm on the show. I'm talking about it. There's a test that you can run while watching a movie. And it's whether two female characters can be in a scene or in a plot without mentioning a guy. Mm. And there's some movies that pass that test and there's some movies that fail that test. This is not the exact same thing because they're not mentioning Reginald and it's wrestling and it's not, you know, not the same thing, but it feels like the same thing to me where they feel for some reason that Reginald is necessary in the storyline to create angst between Banks and Bel Air. He's not. You have two mm. of the best women in your entire company. They can do it. Get Reginald the hell out of here. If there's, if you want to build to Banks fighting Carmella one more time, have Carmella get involved and say, hey, you know what? Before you do that, you only beat me this way and not that way or some bullshit to make that work. But don't ruin your WrestleMania feud with Reginald. Yeah, it's... I should have cursed. I should have cursed at some point in that rant, but I didn't. I don't know how I held back. Go ahead. Yeah, it's... it's, I mean, yeah, you can have Sasha defend the title, do the Roman Dana Bryan deal. You know, you don't have to have... 
Reginald in there. And I don't know why. I, I feel like they don't want to make Carmella look bad by continuing to lose and lose. So they put him in there. It's, it's just like they did with, with um, Frick. What's that dude's name? Who The guy who won the, the first Money in the Bank. Women's oh, Money in the Ellsworth. Bank. James uh, Ellsworth. James Ellsworth. Yeah, yeah. it's like... Carmella works it does well working off of someone like that but don't put the focus on that person that, that that that's the real problem and yeah it's just Bianca and Sasha like think about you know the way they booked Becky and how just how cool she got to be leading into that WrestleMania and in part part of it's Becky's Becky you know they're everybody's different but just like just lean into what these women do well and let them do it like they just it feels yeah. like we're getting too convoluted to try to make some sort of statement of some kind and it just completely gets lost in, into what we're doing here it's, it's not good just let them just let them cook it's called the bechdel test b-e-c-h-d-e-l oh. i just googled it while you were talking just so people know you can look it up and and kind of know know at least what i'm talking about but it's frustrating and and this is going to be a theme on today's show but bel-air was way better on talking smack than she was on smackdown she showed an absolute ton of personality clarified her wrestlemania choice way better than it got across on, on SmackDown. And it's proof that Reginald, like I said, is mucking this entire thing up. This keeps being referred to, by the way, as the main event. And I hope they actually get that spot on night one. I do wonder whether that happens. Maybe they save both men's world championship matches for night two, run them back to back even, and give Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair the main event. I just don't know whether they will. Something else for us to consider in the future, I just wanted to note this. Sasha Banks is 0-5 at WrestleMania. So we talked about that streak of hers of you know failed title defenses earlier this year. It's going to be interesting to see if they make a title change or if they finally, finally allow her to capitalize and win a WrestleMania. You, so, you said you in the storyline, just like Seth Rollins did with Kevin Owens last year. I, yeah. Again, so the, the theme here is, do we trust WWE with their women's storylines on the way to WrestleMania? This is one that's not working. Let's talk about another. So Charlotte Flair on Raw Monday grabs a mic and said she returned from injury to legitimately be Asuka's tag team partner and win the titles. This, by the way, despite Asuka already being champion, right? Uh, she said she was not focused on the Raw women's title because Asuka had been an incredible champion. But then she said, you know what? WWE six weeks from WrestleMania, Belair's facing Banks. Asuka has no challenger, so I want to be the challenger. Now, any competent person writing or booking wrestling, as soon as Charlotte Flair said that, would have hit Rhea Ripley's music, had her come down to the ring and say, no, Charlotte, you've had your chances. I challenge you for the number one contendership. Let's go at Fastlane. The winner will face Asuka at WrestleMania. You have them fight. You have Rhea Ripley beat Asuka. I mean, you have Rhea Ripley beat Charlotte Flair as... Retribution for the loss at WrestleMania last year. And then you have Rhea Ripley fight Asuka at WrestleMania. Or at worst, you do a triple threat match between all of them at WrestleMania. No, that's not what happens, Chris. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax come out and said one of them would be fighting Asuka, despite the fact that that should have happened six months ago. Flair threw haymakers at Baszler, then got beat down. Then there was a match, Flair versus Baszler. Flair dodged Jax, sending her into the steel steps. Then she came back and beat Baszler with natural selection. So they beat one half of the tag team champions to build Flair for WrestleMania, which I guess makes sense if you're going to do that. But man, we saw this coming miles away. I swear, dude, if they put Flair over Asuka again at WrestleMania, 
I, I might lose it. Like this booking is already bad enough and obvious enough. If they do that, it's going to be like stabbing me in the eyeball. I mean, we, we talked about a triple threat title match just a minute ago. Like this would be the moment to do it. Put Rhea Charlotte in there and Asuka have Rhea pin Charlotte or something and, and go go from there. Like, yeah, it, it's I didn't think Char- Charlotte's promo was a good Her way. Her promo to, was fine. Her promo it was, was fine. It, yeah. it was a good way to rewrite kind of the way things played out that obviously we know that's not how it played out. You know, the, the whole Lacey Evans thing happened, whatever. It was fine. Mm-hmm. She explained herself. It works. It's fine. But yeah, no, it, we're, we're all, you know, this is, you know, Charlotte a couple months ago kind of said a similar thing on Twitter when she's like, I came back and I, I stayed away from the champion for, for a while and was trying to put people over and, and people got mad at me. So it's again, this is not something we put on Charlotte is we put it on the way she's booked and they keep teasing Rhea Ripley here. So maybe they do it. Maybe they don't. But again, another example of making things overly complicated when they don't need to be. If they had just done what you said, Rhea Ripley comes up, boom, boom, boom. It all makes sense. And off we go. Instead, they got to do get Shanna involved. And it's just they make things more complicated than I, than they need to be. Just do the the simple stuff and it's wrestlemania season like we only got a handful of weeks left like let's just go we don't need to take these weird detours it was the perfect opportunity to introduce Rhea. like Mm -hmm. you couldn't have set it up better charlotte flair did almost a replica john cena type of promo that's a promo we've seen from john cena so many times i'm not here i've had enough title opportunities but you know what no one else is stepping up so i'm gonna challenge for the title like john cena has cut that promo 10 times and, and half of those times, probably, someone else has stepped up and said, you know what, John? No, I deserve an opportunity. Then they fight. Sometimes Cena wins. Sometimes he doesn't. It, it, they could have done the exact same thing here. It is so frustrating that they're just going to say, you know what? We screwed everything up on Raw. Asuka Flair, that's the match. Now, if Asuka wins and gets her like retribution on Flair, maybe that's something, right? And we'll, we'll be happy that Asuka beats Flair. But I don't trust them to do it. At all, not on Raw, SmackDown maybe, not on Raw. So yeah, it's just, it's it's the old Roman Reigns situation. It's the yeah, exactly. We're we're, we're, so, all, we're, we're just on edge, waiting for something we don't want to happen to happen. One hundred percent, and we're going to be disappointed the entire way. And then at the yeah. end, if Oscar does win, we're like, oh, that's nice that they switched it, rather than jubilant and excited yeah. that something really cool happened. Now look, 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 Oscar Charlotte Flair is a WrestleMania match. It is a match that could absolutely rule. They could tear the house down. I don't think it'll be a five-star match. It could be a over a four-star match. That's great. Asuka wins, really puts over Asuka as champion. It could end up being exactly the best case scenario for them two fighting. But it doesn't change the fact that it's boring and repetitive. And that in the women's division, you see the same people get pushes. And you see the like Asuka hasn't defended her title in forever. Now she's legitimately hurt. She'll be back soon. And now you just have Charlotte there. And you can't bring out Peyton Royce to fight. Or I think Chelsea Green may be healthy again. You can't bring her in. Or you can't debut Rhea Ripley. Or you can't use Nikki Cross. Like there's so many other people that can get involved and they're just not using them. And let's get to the two other women's segments. Well, that actually, this one, week. More, one more thing on the Shayna kick. I think I made a comment on last week's podcast that Shayna really kicked Asuka hard. And I noticed it at the time. And I think I said something. I didn't even notice the. the teeth going flying at the time. So let's hope Asuka is okay and gets back okay. Yeah, I mean, she absolutely ruined her with that kick. I mean, it, yeah. I, you know, obviously it was accidental, but yeah, she nailed her. Uh, so let's talk about the other two 
women's matches that were on Raw and SmackDown. And my comment is the same for both, really. Naomi versus Nia Jax on Raw. They faced off backstage before the match. That was kind of a cool, tense moment, but Jax hits a Samoan drop. Then her one-handed choke bomb that she stole from Raquel Gonzalez. I'm never going to let that go for the win. I'm not, uh, not going to understand why they squashed Naomi as the only good member of the number one contender is with Lana. They just squashed her. Then on SmackDown, you had Tamina against Liv Morgan. Tamina dominated her. Morgan got a hope spot. Natalia yelled finisher like she was in Mortal Kombat or something like that. Tamina hit a Samoan drop. You get you hearing you hearing the similarities. Uh, beat her chest and then a swinging Uranagi in what was almost a squash match on Liv Morgan. So they squash Liv Morgan. They basically squash Naomi. They're suddenly going full throttle on SmackDown behind veterans, and they're sacrificing the Riot Squad to do it. Mandy Rose. Oh, I didn't even mention Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. They're nowhere to be found. This is what's happening in the women's division. I think it is horrendous. The booking. The, there are four brands right now in major American professional wrestling, Raw, SmackDown, AEW, and NXT. One of those four brands, NXT, is booking the women well. The other three have no effing idea what they're doing. Yep. And, and I know they have the um, and the tag title match coming up on NXT, right? There's, yeah, this week, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. I'm sure Nia will use Raquel's move on Raquel. I see no way the NXT women win those titles. I, I pray yeah. that they do because they if those titles were in NXT, they would do great. There's so many women there, but I don't even have a prayer that that's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's just it, the direction changes all the time. Yeah, suddenly Natalia and Tamina are the big thing after after we built up the Riot Squad, after we built up um, after we built up the Sexy Muscle Friends. I don't remember what brand they're on, but it, it's it's they're on Raw. You got it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's been just weird every week it's like oh this is where they're going and next week they're doing something different and it's just it's been messed up since tlc when charlotte came back and joined the it was tlc right where she came back and joined the tag team with oscar ever since then I think so yeah. yeah it's been a mess and that that came right after they did a great job building up lana into the survivor series situation and told a really good story with the women on the, yeah. on the on the smack on the raw women's survivor series we were team. we were laughing at the table spots and all yeah. that stuff it was and then, good and and then charlotte comes in and they decide to throw her in the tag and again we don't, i don't know if lana was legit hurt or not but clearly charlotte comes in and becomes the focus of everything and it's not her fault it's how they booked her and just everything goes all the hell and we don't know what yeah. everybody's doing it's just it's a complete mess and, and there's and don't so forget, many there's so many talented and, women there and don't forget on smackdown they had carmella they gave her vignettes. They had her re-debut. She kicked the shit out of Sasha Banks from behind a couple times. They had a couple pretty good matches. Not great, but, you know, pretty entertaining. So things were rolling. Like, things weren't good, but they weren't bad. Now things are bad. Like, somehow we have Sasha Banks. Like, think about this. We're going to head into WrestleMania with Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair and Asuka and Shayna Baszler, four of the best women in wrestling. And somehow the storylines are total dog shit. It's unacceptable. It just is. We we like women's wrestling too much on this show. People in general, the fan base likes women's wrestling too much because guess what? WWE did something great and they told us it was important. They told us women's wrestling is just as important as men's wrestling. But they've, they're not living up to it in 2021. They're just not. 
and they deserve to be called out for it. So I think that's what we did here. And, you know, F them until they uh, do it a little bit better. Figure out what you want to do and do it. Stop changing. It's just every week we're changing what they're doing. It's, it's incredibly hard to follow. You can yourself too. And Abby gets the final word. All right, so here's what else went down on SmackDown and Raw over the last week. We'll go to SmackDown. Seth Rollins talked about his letter uh, that he sent to WWE when Cesaro interrupted. Rollins asked Cesaro to make, allow him to make things right as old friends. Rollins put Cesaro over as a star, but asked why he always comes up short. He said Cesaro was missing killer instinct, but he could help him do it if he lets Rollins lead him. I was actually starting to buy into the idea that Rollins could help him, even though he was a heel short term, you know, nothing really long, but Cesaro did not buy in uh, and absolutely killed Rollins with one of, if not the most epic swing he's ever done. <laughs> Rollins sold it exceptionally well by put flailing his arms about, losing his jacket while he was being rotated. He was holding on to the mic so the mic would pick up his screams. Then he finally got dropped. He was tripping all over himself. This was hysterical. I've been really rough on Rollins since he returned a few weeks ago. This was a huge step in the right direction. It's a really exciting feud. They probably should have had Cesaro agree to try it out for a couple of weeks because that would have been fun and they would have been able to waste some time on the way to WrestleMania. I wonder if they can stretch this all the way to Mania and give Rollins Cesaro the same booking as we got with Rollins Owens last year. This could be a show stealer, Chris, a possible five-star match at WrestleMania. Rollins was also fantastic on Talking Smack. For anyone who watched that, Heyman sold him so well. So after multiple weeks of this kind of being a zero with Rollins, this was a huge hero. This was a great segment on Friday night. Yeah, no, they've been putting Cesaro over like crazy for a few months now on SmackDown, and this was another step forward in it. It's just, as always with Cesaro, we can't help but think, oh, they like him, but are they going to sour on him at some point? And we always kind of have that in the back of our mind. And going back, I, th I think it was the Miz on Renee's podcast, you know, also put Cesaro over big, I think, if I recall correctly. So it, it was, yeah, th th this is a match, assuming they do it at WrestleMania, that should open one of the nights. Would be a great match to, to get the energy going. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. This is a step in the right direction. One other thing I wrote down, Cesaro does not look all that great in jeans and shirtless. He, he looked weird, yeah. It looked weird. He looks a little too skinny for what he... And he doesn't look skinny when he's just in his tights. He looks he looks jacked. For whatever reason, in the jeans, he looked a little skinny. Didn't... You know, like, I I was a big fan of Drew McIntyre wearing jeans and, and being shirtless. It just, it didn't work with Cesaro. I just wrote that down. I, I, we're going to get into a uh, discussion of the male body here, I guess, but <laughs> I, I think I, I think Cesaro's legs are so impressive, like how yeah, strong his yeah, bottom half is, yeah, that yeah. not seeing them, you kind of lose the illusion that he's yeah. like this big, bulking guy, right? Yeah. That, that's what I, I think, think it is. Put some weight on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently. I'm delicate. He's not delicate. Uh, all right, so moving over to Raw. Last week, I mentioned uh, on Twitter... We forgot to talk about Randy Orton last week for some reason, but I think it's a good thing because it all fits better together to talk about this week. So last week, Randy Orton said failure is something he's used to. He blamed Alexa Bliss for distracting him. Orton coughed, and I thought it was accidental at first. He did a really good job of that. But after they showed a clip of Bliss, he started coughing again, and it was black sludge. 
like she did a couple weeks ago, but she like was spitting it out of her mouth. It's also very similar to Danny DeVito's Penguin from Batman. I said that before. And also like Papa Shango did to Ultimate Warrior back in the day in WWE. This week, Orton told Bliss to stay out of his life unless she wants to end up like The Fiend. Bliss appeared on the TV screen behind him with a pentagram jack in the box. She turned it. It didn't pop, but she turned it and whispered, bring him back and said, there's something Orton should know. So I didn't know what was happening. Like I thought we were going to go away and we'd find out what he needs to know next week. But no, they sold it right there. Orton suddenly appears on the screen with all black contacts and a demonic voice saying Randy would come face to face with everything he's ever done wrong. Randy started coughing then. I thought this was awesome. A really good twist on the Fiend character basically creating a second Randy Orton body um, and and demonically possessing it. Clearly, this is setting up a Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania or the equivalent thereof, where they're going to go real cinematic. I love the idea of Randy Orton attacking Randy Orton. You can do that with CGI. You know, if you get good people to do it, it's going to be taped anyway. So like Orton versus Orton is super cool. Dude, have you ever seen like Superman 3? I saw you tweeted that out. Yes, I have. Have you seen it? So for those of you who haven't seen Superman 3, like the old one, not the shitty Man of Steel's that we get now, uh, Clark Kent basically got separated and there was an evil Superman and they basically didn't really fight each other. They fought each other. They they, they were at odds. Um, This is almost asshole Randy against demonic Randy. And the idea that that could possibly happen in wrestling and that one Randy Orton could be fighting another Randy Orton even if they don't actually go to that length, I was just, dude, I was flipping out. I loved this. Like the Rollins stuff was great. This was great. I know people, some people don't like The Fiend, but they are getting creative with this shit. This was awesome. Yes, that's the big thing. They're just, they're being creative. They're trying different things. I I, I like it. The only thing, I, I sometimes I feel like it's getting a little too scattered and I, I think it needs to have a focus of, the fiend is maybe it's just the fiend is coming back. When's he coming back? Or or the fiend is is a is a spirit who's just floating all over the place and doing things. You're kind of losing the plot a little bit. But Alexa Bliss continues to be awesome at this. I saw some people say on Twitter she she might actually be better at this than than Bray is uh, at, at this point. She she's doing a great job. Randy's all in on it, and that, whenever Randy's all in on something, it's good. So. Yeah, no, this well, is she's, she's fresh. It's just different yeah. with her. Like we got so much of the Bray shit. Alexa's crushing it. She's doing such a good job, you know? Yes. Yeah, she's, I've said this a million times, she's one of the best basically actors on the show in terms of what they're doing. That was always the case. Even back going back to NXT, the, the, the story she could tell with her facial expressions back then just were, were really good. So I'm excited. Yeah, I, I assume this, I hope we do another Firefly Funhouse. If it's Randy versus Randy and, and The Fiend returns then or something like that, I don't know. But I'm looking forward to it. I love last year's Firefly Funhouse. Uh, the, the, the expectations are high. They seem to be leaning toward it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting something super weird. Uh, we were poking holes in a lot of shit earlier in the show, and obviously we, we ranted about the women's division. I want to stay positive. Okay, let's stay positive. Apollo Crews. Ooh. So Apollo Crews on Friday hits the ring in awesome new gear. 
white and black with sparkling royal green color and cut a strong heel promo about representing Nigeria and being a true African-American. He looked like a million bucks. Super cool. Cruz changed his accent to Nigerian or African. You know, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, But I thought he was going to all of a sudden turn things around and go by his old indie name, which is Uha Nation. Mm -hmm. And I was ready for that. But then I looked at his tights. I saw Cruz was on there. That's okay. Not the end of the world. But you could feel it. And you could feel the confidence radiating off this guy. And I interviewed Apollo Cruz about a year ago after he won the United States Championship. You can go back in our archives and listen to it. And it was such a great conversation. You could feel that he was finally coming into his own. He was finally gaining confidence. And he thought that WWE could trust him. This is WWE trusting him. That US title run, it was fine. You know, due to some of their booking problems with only having him like fight Andrade forever and then Bobby Lashley and her business forever, it got really stale. But that wasn't really his fault. He did his job and he continuously cut pretty solid promos. I also thought this was genius because they called back to his conversations with Roman Reigns. They didn't really say it, but Roman Reigns isn't just a badass mafia type of guy. He's the tribal chief. He's pulling into his Samoan heritage. Now you have Apollo Crews pulling into his Nigerian heritage and his grandfather and his father's history. I freaking loved this. The only thing I didn't like is he was still cutting his promo when Nakamura's music cut him off. Yes. They should have let him finish that promo, nail the finish, come out super strong, have Nakamura's music hit. That's the only thing I would have changed. Other than that, this was a 9.5 out of 10. Yes, I wrote that exact same thing in my notes. Just let him get Ah, that final word in. No, yeah, just let him get that final word in, look at the camera, then then Nakamura music hits and and boom, we go. Little thing, just whatever. Yeah, this, this, I, I mean... We got more character work, I think, from Apollo Crews in this than pretty much we have his whole WWE run. Like, this is this was so good. It's always good when people lean into, like you said, the Samoan heritage, when they lean into their real life heritage and you 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 feel like you connect with these people as characters. Even if you don't like them or you do like them, there's a connection and you understand them. Talking about his 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 family history, Nigerian royalty. I don't know all the details. I don't know whatever, but it was it was like, oh man, I you, you believed every word this guy said, and every word. Yeah, I, and I and I said this a week ago after he after he beat up on Big E. He he's lost a lot of matches, and he continues to look better coming out of this. It, it, it's such a it's such a statement on why you don't need fifty fifty booking if you just treat guys the right way. And that's what they've done here. Apollo can lose a bunch of matches and still feel like an absolute threat for this title. Feel like you want to see him fight Big E again, even though he's lost a bunch of times. This has been, this has been an incredibly booked mid card storyline that they're doing with, with, with Nakamura and Big E and and with with Sammy for a little bit. Tremendous intercontinental championship booking. Really look, really looking forward to, Seeing what we get from Abala Cruz next. He's been on a tear these last few weeks. And by the way, they follow it up. We, you know, I didn't like how they ended it, the promo. They follow it up with Apollo Cruz, Shinsuke Nakamura. Cruz is full heel. He's super aggressive in the match. He throws Nakamura in the steps, uses his new scarf to drive Nakamura's head into the turnbuckle, and then hits, I think it was like a modified Olympic slam 
to go over a former IWGP heavyweight champion, Shinsuke freaking Nakamura on SmackDown. That's big. So they followed up a strong promo with a strong, clean win over Nakamura. It feels like they're going triple threat, whether it's at Mania, whether it's in the interim, and then they're just going to go maybe Big E versus Cruz directly at Mania. I don't know. But man, it's all working. Like you said, I just wanted to make sure I got, I wanted to make sure I gave a shout for Cruz winning this and to Nakamura for putting him over. They deserve it. Yeah, and, and it was what? It was a week ago Nakamura beat Cruz, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it, 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 this didn't feel like, oh, somebody got to win, so somebody got to win back the next day. No, the character changed. He, 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 right. he, he completely changed his character, and now he's a different person, and now he gets the win. And you totally buy it. it. It was great. It was great. And Nakamura wasn't ready for him, and so the loss is understandable. All good. And, and Nakamura, you know, there was a scarf used. He was in the steel steps. Whole thing was great. All right, let's uh, maybe turn backwards uh, to Raw. <laughs> Not a surprise. And uh, an out-of-nowhere Raw tag team title match. Uh, so Strowman, Braun Strowman, uh, hits the ring, cuts his typical promo against Pierce and Shane McMahon. Shane said it's not their fault that Strowman keeps falling short, but wants him to trust management, learn to trust management. So he made Pierce his partner for a match against the Hurt Business. And then he makes it a raw tag team title match against the Hurt Business. Strowman hits, he dominates both members of Hurt Business, hits Benjamin with a running power slam, but Shane jumps on the ring apron saying he should tag Pierce presumably to build their relationship that they didn't really explain that on commentary, but they should have. Yeah. That was the reason for some reason though, stupid dumbass Braun Strowman tags him in. He just had a running power slam on, on uh, Shelton Benjamin. He's about to win the tag team titles. He listens to Shane, this guy he hates tags in Adam Pierce. Pierce goes for a cover, but instead gets rolled up by Benjamin for the loss. Uh, by the way, Adam Pierce is now one in four in five WWE matches all time. <laughs> Strowman went wild, screaming at Shane after. And I actually thought that's the most personality that we've seen for him since since the Bray Wyatt feud. Or maybe since Raw Underground. He was pretty decent in Raw Underground. But he was screaming at Shane. And that was that was actually pretty decent. But it was his fault for tagging in. So stupid. Dude, I think you said it last week or two weeks ago, whenever whenever it was. This is definitely a WrestleMania match. It's going to be Shane versus Braun. I'm okay with it because it takes Braun out of the conversation for another match, but I don't give a shit. This was stupid booking and it made the champions look very vulnerable, basically getting beat two on one. Yeah, I I don't know why it had to. uh, The idea of learn to trust management so you'll be in a tag with Pierce. I didn't hate that idea, but then you give him, but then you put him in the tag team championship match and you're like well either they're gonna win and this is gonna mess up the tag champs or they're gonna or they're gonna lose and it's whatever instead they lose and make the purposes look bad it was like the worst possible thing you could do i i don't know yeah it's a shane braun feud they're going toward i don't know who's the face and who's the heel in the story i i it's so weird what they're doing every week shane's acting super goofy He's completely out of breath every time he's out there. He's blowing up. He starts speaking really quietly during his promo. What, what the hell was that? I know. <laughs> I think he was just trying to like calm himself. <laughs> so I don't weird. know. It was super weird. It, it, and and then um, it, it was just weird. It's like I I don't know. We're we're doing we're we're doing Shane Braun and they don't know how to get there and so they're doing weird things. I don't. And know. by the way, and by the way, you have Adam Pierce who's doing a fantastic job, right? 
Oh yeah, you're he's now killing you're, it. You're now forcing force feeding him Sonya Deville on SmackDown, which is fine. Sonya's great. There's no harm in that. But now he has help on SmackDown. Now you're force feeding him Shane McMahon on Raw. So this guy who we were praising up and down to no end. This guy is great. He's the best authority figure WWE's had in a really long time, maybe since Paige, you know, whatever. This we're, we're thrilled with this. And now they've basically said, yeah, we know you like it. F you. Here's here's how I here's how I do the, the Pierce Strowman thing. Braun's pissed off. Pierce won't give him what he wants. Braun keeps messing with Pierce week after week, pushing and pushing and pushing. Eventually, Pierce gets all pissed off, challenges Braun to a match. Braun beats the crap out of him. Shane and then and then Shane shows up either to rescue him or to do whatever, being like, I'm in charge. That leads to a Shane Braun match at the at the time. Like, like Or like Shane, or even I would even do it. Shane doesn't let the match happen. He goes, Adam Pierce, you're well, not I, a wrestler. I guess I, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. You're not signed as a wrestler, but you know what? I am. And Braun, if you want to fight with management, I'll fight you. Like something like that is sure, better. Yeah, it's, I'm, just, I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out who, who's a face and who's a heel in this feud. Who am I rooting for and why? And, you know, we got some weeks I have to get no there, idea. But it's just weird. That's what I'm saying. Like if Braun goes crazy and beats up Pierce, maybe he's the heel and we make Shane the face and we do that for the match at WrestleMania. Like just so there's a story. There's not a story here. It's just, it doesn't make any, it's just weird. It's just like we're spinning our wheels to try to figure out a way to get to the match. It's just I just don't want this to happen. I, I, I think the I think the match will be fine. Shane will get thrown off of something. Braun will throw him around and make him, you know, and, and it'll make Braun look good, and it'll be whatever. It's just it's 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 just a weird way to get there to whatever story they're. I don't know the story they're trying to tell. It's them forcing Shane into a mania match, and it's not the end of the world because look, Shane, what was it? Shane Miz was good. Shane mm-hmm. Styles was good. Like every time there's a Shane match, it's good. At least recently, but it's forced. And you just really didn't need it when, again, Adam Pierce is doing such a good job. You're you're forcing authority figures, and it's just it's a mess. Um, so okay, well we'll go back to SmackDown. Street Profits uh, faced Sami Zayn and King Corbin in a tag team match. Corbin was annoyed by Zayn's camera crew, and Zayn admitted that he booked them in a tag match because he thinks they can win the titles. The crew got in Corbin's way during the match. Montez Ford in a brilliant spot flew over Zayn with an incredible Tope Cone hero as Corbin was again distracted outside by the camera crew. And the Prophets then hit a underhook, swinging neckbreaker, and springboard frog splash, even cooler than the regular one, for the win. Also, Michael Cole, during the match, called the Dirty Dogs by their team name (laughs) while he saw them backstage. That was my biggest takeaway from this thing, other than Ford's awesome move and Zayn, again, being amazing. This was... Perfectly fine and entertaining, but nothing special. Yep. And my other takeaway was WWE on Fox tweeted a, a short video from Sammy's documentary crew of back, oh, I missed Sa- that. Sammy and Corbin backstage, uh, I think right before they went out for the match. And Sammy's like leaning over, talking to the camera and like kind of like, I think he was bad mouthing Corbin or something like that. And he's like, he can't hear me. Don't worry about it. It was just like a little thing. I was like, oh, this is kind of like, put these on SmackDown, put these on SmackDown, like like he's making this documentary, like give us some clips of it, like every week of, of just some behind the scenes things that Sammy's seen that just do something fun with it. I thought it was a funny, cool tweet that they put out. And it was just, again, with talking smack, I was like, Oh, this would have been a cool thing to put on the show. Back on raw. We had a six man tag team match riddle and Lucha house party against retribution. T bar hit riddle with a choke slam backbreaker. 
on the first move of the match, which was, I was like, holy shit, this is real. Um, by the way, Dijak, Chris Dijak, Dominic Dijakovic, Dijakovic, T-Bar, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's really good. He's a really good wrestler. Mm-hmm. And Shane Thorne, Slapjack, really good wrestler. Dio Madden seems to be a much improved wrestler. These guys are good. Let them wrestle, right? Like shit can happen and it can be awesome. Uh, so anyway, that was the first move of the match. Riddle flung himself over the ropes and then Grand Metalik did an elbow drop off Lindsay Dorado's shoulders to beat Slapjack. This match was super quick, but it was actually pretty fun, even though it was fast. Like I said, all six of those guys can go. The Riddle Lucha House Party thing, it, it's weird. He's the US champion. He should be starting a feud. We'll talk about that in a second. But they work together and they are all really damn good wrestlers. So I don't know why they keep doing it and why they can't just start multiple challengers for the mid-card title. But for one week, with how many segments they did, considering the Miz and Bobby Lashley storyline, I'm okay. But next week, I want to start seeing the mid-card title actually built now that you have a brand new champion. Let's not forget he's the United States champion. Yeah. So right after that... Yeah. I'm sorry. Finish finish up what was going on. Yeah, I figured we put it all together. So right after that match is over, Mustafa Ali gets pissed at Retribution for losing again. He flips out, challenges Riddle immediately. Uh, The match starts after the commercial. Ali dropkicks Riddle's arm, worked on it. Riddle hit almost his entire moveset right as he's going for, I think, the floating bro. Slapjack and Reckoning distract the referee. And Riddle uh, also Mace distracted him as well, giving Ali a chance to hit what was supposed to be a avalanche um, backbreaker, backstabber, avalanche backstabber for the win. He botched it. It did not happen. I wish he hit it right because it would have been a really cool move. I was happy to see Ali get over here because he really isn't winning matches. But I also really don't like the idea of Riddle losing a singles match two weeks after he became U.S. champion. Yep. And and uh, on Riddle, I like him with, with the Lucha House Party. It he His trying to make him like funny, it works a lot better, I think, coming off of guys being in a team as opposed to just running into people backstage or something like that. So in that sense, you know, I don't know what long term it makes makes any sense, but I like him with them, like you said. But he's the U.S. champion. And after we went a long time without Lashley ever defending that title, we can't have that same situation with Riddle. Maybe Riddle wasn't originally going to win and it was going to be Keith Lee and things had to change. But, you know, you got to change to fit that title. And it would really be a shame if um, where it's going to go from here. I don't know. I love the idea of making Ali a legitimate mid-card title contender. That's great. And I understand that he's in a faction. Riddle losing this way is not the same as Riddle losing a clean one-on-one match, like if this was an NXT or something like that. So I get it. And if they fight at Fastlane, that's probably totally fine for a first Riddle mid-card feud. But there's a lot of dudes on Raw, and they really need to move in the direction of creating mid-card challengers, making the U.S. title mean something, and not treating it the way they did with Apollo Crews and Bobby Lashley, where basically no one was ever really challenging for it. It would be a great opportunity to bring back Andrade. Be a great opportunity. I know it doesn't seem like they're going to use Aleister Black, but if they were and they wanted to put him on Raw, it'd be a great way to bring Aleister Black back, to have him fight Riddle. That thing would tear the house down. There's so many different guys that deserve to be in the mid-card picture right now. Ali is chief among them, so this is good. 
it just feels to me like it's going to be something where ultimately he doesn't win the title. Now, if they shock me and switch it, that's great. Um, and if Riddle's only a champion for a short period of time, that's okay. But then Riddle all of a sudden is winning and losing the title in quick fashion. And what does that mean for him? Where does he go from there? So these are all things that are open-ended questions and we will have to see how things transpire. But simultaneously was disappointed to see Riddle lose, but really happy to see Ali win. And I hope there is more of the winning in Ali's future. So a couple more things, then we'll get out of here. Chad Gable and Otis defeated Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio in a tag team match. Gable replayed the video of the beatdown last week, and Otis appears to be buying into this aggressive heel role, which I thought was pretty interesting. The Mysterios took out Otis and hit a double 619 on Gable, with Ray hitting a frog splash, but Otis broke the fall. Otis came back with a huge middle rope splash onto Ray for the clean win. I thought it was weird that he didn't just go hit his Vader bomb, which is his finisher, and instead, instead beat Ray Mysterio Jr., with a middle rope splash. So that was a little bit annoying to me. Uh, Ray's nose was also busted open at some point. I don't know why or how, but that looked pretty rough. But this was pretty good, all things considering. It was a surprising result. We want both of these tag teams to simultaneously be built into potential contenders. And Chad Gable and Otis just beat the Mysterios. That's not nothing. Yeah, they're... They're trying to build up that middle rope splash as being a pretty devastating move. They did it the week prior and, you know, Ray sold the injury and stuff like that. So it, it appears they want to make, I don't know if it's a finisher or whatever, but they're they're trying to make that into an impact move. And yeah, Otis and Gable win. I'm all in. I, I love it. I've loved them for weeks. I liked them when they were funny and now they're, I guess, heels or whatever. They work good together. They're, they're two different styles. It's fun. I like them together. I like, you know, I like the Mysterios. I like the Mysterios are not fighting Corbin. <laughs> they're doing something yeah. different. So, uh, yeah, this was good. And they're real life friends, which is one of the best parts. They get to do this together and hopefully it revitalizes both of them and kind of builds them up together. Mm -hmm. Lastly here, Chris, what I am calling, despite my criticisms for the women's division, this will be the, I think, worst match of the week. And it was my least favorite thing on this entire a week of WWE television. Damian Priest against Elias. Elias told Bad Bunny backstage they should cut an album together. Priest translated that Bad Bunny said no, even though we know he can speak English. Elias cut his typical promo in the ring, which we haven't seen in months, and thank God we haven't seen it, but it was back. The match was terrible. Two really long, boring segments for no reason. Insanely slow. There were rest holds. Zero chemistry between these guys. Botched moves. Botched pinfall attempts. Elias is just a shit worker. It's the truth. You can be entertained by him. You can like his gimmick and his character. No hate. He sucks in the ring. AJ Styles, to my recollection, is the only person, maybe Jeff Hardy now that I say it, but specifically AJ Styles, is the only person that has gotten a match out of Elias where you would look back and said, oh, wow, Elias might be able to go if he keeps improving. This was not it. These guys did not work well together. Priest won with all of his usual stuff, but he took far too much punishment for a guy who has been dominating recently against a guy who has not won a legitimate match in eons. This should have never happened. They should have just given Damian Priest and Bad Bunny the week off. This 100%, I didn't queue it up, definitely, without question, deserves. Zero! 
yeah, I, I I couldn't believe how long that match was going on. I was like, I, I was just like, I was just like waiting and waiting. I was like, man, are they really dragging this out? I don't know if it wasn't supposed to go that long, and they had to drag it out because I think that's what led into the main event. Um, but oof, man, it was bad. It was bad. Um, one thing they could have given wrote- Flair, they could have given Flair and Baszler five extra minutes and asked them to, you know, stretch. Both of them capable of doing it because they're pros. And instead, this match was two segments. Yeah. The, the only other thing I wrote down about this was uh, Riker punches Priest. Priest is like on the ropes. Riker clocks him and Elias pins him. And Priest kicked out at one. And that that kind of caught my attention. Obviously, we know everything that's kind of gone on with um, uh, some of the stuff with For- Forgotten Sons and whatever. Uh, I, I I just was like, I wonder if there was a reason he kicked out on one. I don't know. I just it, it stood out to me. That, uh, that that happened. Other than that, this was whatever. I also saw this tweet since we were talking about Bobby Lashley being champion. That's how he opened the show. I found it really interesting. It's a list of WWE champions. I don't think it's, yeah, it's not comprehensive, but it's a look at all the diverse champions in WWE right now. I do think it's kind of worth ending the show on a high note, really, after talking about that garbage Elias Damian Priest match. Uh, Roman Reigns, Samoan, Bobby Lashley, Black, Sasha Black, Asuka Japanese, Big E Black, her business, both black guys, uh, Jax and Baszler, Samoan and Chinese, Bad Bunny, Puerto Rican, Io Shirai, Japanese, Santos Escobar, Mexican. So when you talk about diversity, WWE's doing it, right? Like there was a time where that was not the case, where you looked at the division and you looked at the chat, not just the champions, but the challengers, and everyone looked exactly the same. I mean, I guess granted, we didn't mention a lot of Black people and Samoans, but they they don't necessarily look like the standard WWE superstar that we were seeing for very long periods of time. Uh, so I think that's great. That type of diversity on the roster, but not just on the roster, holding the company's championships is fantastic. And Bobby Lashley, again, adding ending the show on a good note, Bobby Lashley being the latest after nearly two decades of being a professional wrestler to come out of this with the WWE Championship and presumably take it into WrestleMania. It was a good night. Good night for wrestling, I think. Even yeah. if you didn't love Raw, it was a good night for wrestling. Yeah, and, and you're happy for him. I mean, Bobby Lashley was a guy who, you know, going way back when and, and everybody, you know, Vince had an eye on him and and people didn't like him because everybody thought he was going to be the big thing and kind of, you know, that period where fans push back against somebody they think is is – is is eyed for for a championship spot and you know things were up and down for him and he came back and and just like just like drew mcintyre another guy who was you know handpicked by vince to be a champion and comes back follows through on it so i I think both of them have have great stories happy for bobby lashley great to see all the diverse champions that wwe has you know they they really you know uh, there's a lot of lip service in these things but they back it up they they put yeah they put the ball in the hands of of people from diverse backgrounds and also on that note uh, the WWE 24 documentary on Big E came out. Oh my God. Sunday night. Great. Really good. Did we Highly not even talk? Oh yeah. We didn't talk about Big E this week because he was injured from the Apollo Crews yes. storyline. That 24, this is how we should end the show. It's, I think it, it may be the best WWE 24 they've done. It was incredibly emotional. Not just where, you know, you cry and you get emotional in that way. I was watching that and I can't tell you how many times I caught myself naturally smiling. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sitting watching this and I'm just happy. 
And that is, you know what it takes to watch a taped non-live, like you're not watching a sporting event where your team's winning or you're not cheering for something. You're just watching like a documentary and you're smiling your way through it. It was fantastic. It's like 53 minutes. I tweeted about it like four times over the weekend. If you have not watched the Big E24 at some point before SmackDown on Friday, make sure you watch the Big E24. It's incredibly well done. And if you went into it like I did and like Chris, I'm assuming you did, thinking Big E needs to be Universal or WWE champion sooner than later, if you didn't think that way going in, you will come out of it thinking that. Me, For me, yeah. it just reinforced it. Yeah, no, and, and you know, they did the the Bianca Belair 24 and it leads to her winning the Royal Rumble. It's a sign that, you know, they have big plans for somebody. Or they, they're really, really behind somebody and, and, and they're really behind Big E as Intercontinental Champion and, and where he is here now. And, you know, you mentioned crying. I mean, there, there's a part in there about uh, Brody Lee, Luke Harper. Oh, yeah. And and um, it's really touching uh, as, as well. So just the full gamut of emotions watching that thing, really well done. The fact that he's from Tampa probably made it a lot easier for them to film things at his high school and, and do other things like mm-hmm. that. I, that added a lot to it. You know, it, they go through his whole life playing football, powerlifting. The scene with when, when he's lifting in, in John Cena's weight room when he was in Incredible. NXT, that was so cool. That was awesome. And, and the confluence of events it took Yes. For this guy to wind up in WWE, it literally took three total happenstance events happening. One person being in a certain place at the right time, one person being on a plane with another person, and then another person being in the right place at the right time. And two of those people interconnecting for all of a sudden Biggie to wind up with a WWE opportunity. And then he gets there and he has to make his way through the entire thing. Now he's super talented. So, you know, ultimately that's not a huge surprise. But man, when you watch this, you're like, this, if, if one thing happened, if he had a bad stomach ache one day, he's not a WWE wrestler. Like, it's insane how his story unfolds. And you need to watch this WWE 24. It is a great watch. I've seen a lot of really good stuff throughout this year-long quarantine. Uh, great movies, great TV shows. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying the WWE 24 on Biggie is like equivalent to the wire or anything like that. But what I will tell you is that for 53 minutes, it was as enjoyable as any 53 minutes I've spent in front of a TV screen in a year, in the last calendar year. Yep. It's a good way to put it. Okay. So that is it for today's show, breaking down everything that went down in WWE. As far as what's next coming up on this program, we will be back Thursday to break down everything that happens on NXT, including that women's tag team championship match. And we will also have an ultimate preview of AEW Revolution. We'll be talking everything that happens on Dynamite and previewing the Revolution pay-per-view going down this Sunday. And then Sunday, once Revolution is off the air, we will be back with instant analysis of AEW Revolution. And we will be back the following Tuesday, breaking down SmackDown and Raw for you once again. It's been a great show. Don't forget to follow Getting Over on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this damn show. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. With that, the Silver King will go ahead and say goodbye for Chris. That means there's only one more person to talk to Adam.
And I thank you all for listening. I have just three words left for you. Bye for now.